Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Thank you for tuning in to Chomping Up the Bit. This is episode 33. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at college football. I'm going to react to some things that I noticed over the weekend. Take a look at the Big Ten as they have their opening weekend. You know, see which teams look good, which ones may have struggled. Uh, also, take a look at some of the top teams in the country and see how they did as well. Were any of them on upset alert? And also, going to take a look at. Is there possibly a team that, you know, some some of you may not be looking at who by the end of the season could make a strong case to get into the top four? And even with that, will there be another reason based off of this team for the playoff to expand past four? Then, of course, I'm also going to look at the World Series as... The series was 2-2 going into the pivotal game five on uh, Sunday night. And now we're going to take a look at which teams on the brink of elimination and whether or not this series is going to end or not. So with that, we'll go ahead and start right there with the World Series. So like I said, it was 2-2 going into game five. Uh, the Dodgers ended up pulling out the win 4-2. And from watching the game, what I noticed was the Rays have to stop letting the Dodgers get going early. I swear for like the past couple of games now, Dodgers, when they've come up to bat, whether it's, you know, leading off the game top of the first inning or batting in the bottom of the first inning, they're already there. They are always putting runs on the board in the first inning. And I feel like the Rays need to stop that because, yes, I get it. The Rays have shown the ability to, you know, come back and either tie the game or sometimes take a lead late in the game after being down. But I feel like they're playing with fire too much. And game five, ultimately, they couldn't come back from being because they were they went into the second inning already down 2-0 as Betts let off the game with a double. Seeger came right after him and Betts got his double on a full count 3-2 pitch and he hit a liner to the left off the base of the wall and he was standing at a double then Seeger came up right after him pulled a single through the shift on the right side Betts scored from second and you know Seeger is on first then later that inning Bellinger uh, hit a ball to, I think, into the shift, but into like short right where they where Tampa Bay likes to put that uh, second baseman, swing him out into the uh, shallow outfield. And Seager was able to score later on in the inning. So they were already up 2-0. They had Kershaw on the mound. You know, Kershaw had a uh, great outing 
in game one, and he followed that up with another good outing. He went five and two-thirds innings. He could have went longer, but Dave Roberts decided to uh, pull him after a couple of pitches into the sixth inning. Um, a key play for the Rays, they had a guy, um, Manuel Margot, on third base on uh, the f- fourth inning, and there was two out. For some reason, he tried to steal home. He was thrown out of the plate. And, you know, the one thing that they tell you when you play baseball, never make the third out at third or at home. Especially when there's no guarantee he was going to make it. Like, I get it. Kershaw's a lefty, so his back is to you on third base. But, yeah, it was just an easy throw to the plate. They got him. Killed a chance at maybe getting a timely two-out base hit to bring in the run anyway. I get it. The Rays have played that way all year. You know, being aggressive when they can because, especially against this Dodgers team, I think the Rays have the mentality that certain situations they're going to have to try to manufacture runs where in probably like the most unlikely of situations. And... But yeah, that was like a pivotal play. Um, it killed probably the momentum that the race could have gained if Margo were able to score there. But like, I get it. You know, I'm I can't even be too mad at them for trying it. I mean, it's a play you don't see a lot. So sometimes, if you have a guy who's fast enough, and Margo is a speedster, you know, you might be able to catch a pitcher off you know off guard where. They're standing there in their stretch, especially with two out. Most pitchers aren't uh, wired to take a look over at third because with two outs, the only, all you have to do is worry about the batter at the plate. So, you know, like the more I think about it, the more I talk about it. I'm actually not mad at him for trying it. But uh, a Rosa Reina, that, you know, the race hitter that I've been talking about, uh, in the series and when I previewed the series I said he was the guy that you would have to watch on the Rays in the Rays lineup well you know he got a hit in the I think it was the second inning which gave him the new leader which made him the new leader of most hits in a single postseason uh, beating out Pablo Sandoval you know the great San Francisco Giants third basin of years ago where I think Sandoval actually turned that postseason run into that big deal with the Red Sox which he never lived up to but still an accomplishment either way so you know with that like I said Kershaw in five and two thirds the Dodgers bullpen came in uh, with like with Dustin May who came in right after Kershaw went one and a third innings and then you know the rest was history Tampa Bay never really got much of a threat going so now Tampa Bay's down 3-2 in the series um my original prediction was Dodgers in six so right now the series is playing kind of like I expected it and I do believe that the series will end Tuesday night I mean, of course, because 
that was my prediction. Of course, I'd like to be right, but I feel like if the Rays were able to win Game Five, then I think it'd have been a seven-game series automatically. But now that they've lost Game Five, I don't know if they're going to be able to stop the momentum for the Dodgers. And like I said, Betts and Seager at the top of the lineup have been giving them fits, especially uh, first, second inning, well, first inning of games. Um, and it's not them. It's usually Justin Turner who will either get a you know timely base hit or has hit a few home runs early in games in this series. So if the Rays can you know get through the first and like the second inning without giving up any runs, then they might be in you know good shape for the rest of the way. But if it's another game where the Dodgers get out to a 2-0 lead, before the Rays bat in the first or whether the, the top of the second, then it could be a long night for the Rays where they might really start feeling that pressure. Because, you know, what I've talked about with the NBA bubble and all that, when you get into elimination games, the pressure on the team that's down gets ratcheted up as well as the team that's up because there's pressure on them to close out the series like in this case if the Rays are to win game six you get a game seven as I've said many times you get into a game seven anything can happen so like I said you know tune in game six Tuesday night um, I know I will I do plan on the series ending Tuesday night so we will see now I did say Mookie Betts is an MVP I think he still can get it, but Corey Seager's making a strong case for himself to win it. So we'll definitely have to check that out. And if the series does end Tuesday night, then of course, um, you know, we'll talk about it on here and you know, kind of see how game six plays out. Or if we're preparing for a game seven, then we'll talk about that and see what either team needs to do to make sure that they do pull it out in a game seven but you know that was just you know quick little check in on the world series but now to you know the main topic of the episode college football and you know with the big 10 getting their opening weekend this weekend uh, I did watch some Big Ten football to see how these teams were going to look week one. Um, so remember I gave you the top four teams, at least for me in the Big Ten. I told you Ohio State, uh, Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan. Well, Michigan slash Minnesota since they were playing each other, but I did put Michigan up there. Um, so Wisconsin and Ohio State. I mean, they were dominant in their first game. Wisconsin uh, blew out Illinois. I want to say it was uh, 52-7. And Wisconsin's quarterback, Mertz, he went 20 for 21. So, pretty much perfect. He threw for five touchdowns. He had five touchdowns. The defense only gave up 218 yards, 7 points, and only 8 first downs. So almost as many points as first downs. 
that's a pretty dominant performance to me. Yes, it was Illinois, but for a first game of the season, that's definitely a good start. So, you know, Wisconsin looking good after week one. Ohio State, I talked about them. They're probably the favorite for the Big Ten and a favorite to probably land one of the top four spots in the playoff. You know, they didn't disappoint opening weekend uh, either. Justin Fields, the same 20 for 21. Three total touchdowns. He had two passing, one on the ground. Uh, He rushed for also like 54 yards on the ground as he's a dual threat quarterback. And they beat Nebraska 45-14. So... After this first week, those two teams right there definitely put on a uh, a show and doesn't you know put in a claim to be the top teams in the Big Ten. Penn State, who was a team that I did say uh, was one of the top four as well, had a tough game against Indiana. Was not expected. I thought they'd have an easy time going up against the Hoosiers, but. It turned into a very very exciting game. Uh, both teams played well. You know, they went blow for blow. Uh, the game ultimately ended up in overtime where Indiana pulled it off by going for two. And it was a play with a little bit of controversy because, you know, scrambling to the right, like a to the extreme right, diving for the pylon. And when I was watching it live, I thought he came up short because it kind of looked like, um, I think it might have been his knee, might have been out, or even his elbow hit the ground before he was able to touch the pylon with the football because it did kind of look like his hand bounced off the ground into the pylon, but... Uh, I guess Big Ten doesn't have that camera the NFL does where, um, you know, that camera that Bill Belichick fought for all those years where they can like look down the goal line and then they put a camera in that looks down the sideline. So that way you can see both the boundary and whether you cross the plane. In this case, if you hit the pylon, it doesn't matter because the pylon counts as crossing the goal line. So. I mean, it was a bang-bang play, and of course, with the instant replay, really wasn't clear enough to overturn it, so Indiana gets the big win, big upset, you know, one of the ups- bigger upsets of the weekend, and Penn State's now looking at 0-1 and facing Ohio State next weekend, so a promising season could start off 0-2 right away. And when this and their shortened season, two losses will pretty much take Penn State really out of any consideration for, you know, playoffs four or even New Year six, which I'll get into those in a little bit. But but yeah, Uh, Notre Dame, Notre Dame had their most impressive showing, at least to me. Uh, They beat uh, Pitt 45 to three. And, it, I mean, it was just a mismatch, you know. Notre Dame 
outgained Pittsburgh 434 to 162. That tells you all you need to know about the game. That's like utter dominance right there. And Notre Dame is that team that, you know, every year there's analysts that want to put Notre Dame into the playoff for some years. They've earned their way in other years. It kind of seems like they get in on name recognition, you know, see the, was it like the Manti Teo years? Remember that guy? But that year when they got into the playoff and then got embarrassed by, I think it was Ohio State. So, like I said, for Notre Dame, you know, their statement game is still two weeks away at this point when they have to face Clemson. And Clemson had another big day. Uh, They took down. How powerful is Cox Internet? So powerful that one day your daughter will be able to simulate a soccer match against some of the world's best players right from your backyard. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Internet delivered through Cox's hybrid fiber coax network. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions apply. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Syracuse was a 47 to 21. Now, the line in that game was like, uh, I think Clemson was a 48 point favorite. So Syracuse actually ended up, you know, winning in terms of the spread. But I think it was more because Clemson took their foot off the gas after they got up big. So, you know, Clemson still looks like the best team in the country. Trevor Lawrence still looks like the best quarterback in the country. Put those two together. That's why they're the favorite to win it all this year again. But not to be outdone, Alabama beat Tennessee. Uh, Alabama won that game 48-14. to Um, So, I mean, Alabama has gotten through their first part of the schedule where they had the tough Georgia game ultimately won that game now they're getting into some definitely winnable games before uh, their iron bowl matchup with auburn later in the season and once again with auburn it kind of depends on the year some years by the time you get to the iron bowl auburn is a terrible team then there's other years where auburn is actually a pretty good team by the time you get to to the iron bowl and then that matchup can go either way so right now a lot of these games between now and Iron Bowl, Alabama's just getting warmed up. Because like I said a couple episodes ago, Clemson and Alabama look like they're pretty much set in stone right now for the playoff four. Obviously, nothing happened this weekend to change any of that. So they're still one and two easily. But then, I guess to pay off the tease from early in the episode there is a team that's 
kind of sitting under the radar. You know, not in one of the Power Five conferences. Probably not one of the bigger name schools that you're thinking about who might make a case. Might now I'm saying might make a case by the end of the year to crash the party and get in to the top four if you know some of these teams up there really struggle this year. I mean, this is a team that's going to need like you know like a two-loss Georgia, uh, probably a two-loss Notre Dame, you know. Uh, Oklahoma State not to be undefeated in order for them to have any consideration but Cincinnati now Cincinnati went into the weekend going up against SMU SMU was ranked 16th Clemson's ranked 9th both teams were undefeated Um, it it had the makings of a really close tight game down to the wire it was anything but that Clemson I mean, not Clemson, Cincinnati, put it on SMU, wasn't close from beginning to end. Uh, Cincinnati won that game 42-13, to so Cincinnati is now 4-0. They were ranked ninth. Um, haven't seen the new ranking yet, because I'm guessing they moved up from nine. They'd have to, otherwise that's just blatant disrespect. Uh, actually, let me look at that real quick. So, Cincinnati is now number seven in the country, which is perfect for them because, um, so right now, the top four is Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State is now number three. Remember, I had Georgia at number three. Uh, the AP had Georgia at number four, but, you know, Notre Dame, is now four because Notre Dame was three, at least in their poll. Georgia's now five. Oklahoma State's at six. Cincinnati seven. Oklahoma State is is undefeated, like uh, Cincinnati is, but but um, I don't know. I just think Cincinnati has a shot to leap over Oklahoma State at some point this year. And the rest of Cincinnati's schedule is not difficult for them. Not to say they won't have a hiccup here or there because, I mean, the American Conference, usually Memphis is kind of a player. Houston, you never know. And they still have those two games left. And there's also UCF. UCF's one of those teams who normally is ranked kind of middle of the pack, but this year... Not yet. So, you know, they have an outside shot going undefeated. I I mean, I think probably because of their resume, they, they won't get any recognition for top four. But I just think Cincinnati is going to be this year's Boise State. You remember back in the BCS days, you know, Boise, Boise State would go 12-0. 11 and 1 every year always would be ranked like 6th 7th, 6th, sometimes 5th and there'd be some you know, talk out there about putting Boise into the national title game 
but it never happened. They don't, you know, went to some good bowl games. You know, they they had the one that everybody remembers against Oklahoma, where they won it. The Statue of Liberty play. The player goes and proposes to the cheerleader and all that. And I think Boise State was kind of a big reason why the BCS eventually was thrown away because Boise State never got a fair shot. Now that we're in the playoff system and it's only four, uh, I feel like teams like Cincinnati aren't going to get a fair shot either because with it only being four, and I talked about this, I think, episodes ago, but you know, just to rehash it, I'm not a big fan of just four playoff teams. One, you have five power conferences, so technically at least one conference is going to get screwed anyway. A lot of years, SEC looks to get two teams into the top four, so then you might have a second conference get screwed. So, you're clearly not going to do five just for the power five conferences, because then, then your playoff system looks stupid. I've always said eight is probably the perfect place for them but I could see them doing like a six first just to see but I think if you go eight you get your power five you let your conference champion in that's five spots right there then the other three do whatever you want I don't care you know you want to put a second SEC team in boom use one of those spots you want a second ACC team use one of the three spots and then I think at least that way, one of those spots would go to a team like like if Cincinnati goes undefeated, them. Or even this year, looking at like a Oklahoma State who's undefeated right now. Who's to say they can't run the table? And I mean, looking at their schedule, you know, they have Oklahoma, on, Oklahoma left on the schedule, but Oklahoma's ranked lower uh, in the AP poll so Oklahoma State will go into that game as a favorite at least they should but you know just looking on the list here you have so Ohio State may run the table it's gonna push at this point like Georgia gets pushed out so Georgia goes through the rest of their schedule and their only losses to an Alabama team that may run the table you would think Georgia probably deserves a shot in the playoff. Notre Dame, who everybody wants to throw in there. If Notre Dame were able to, you know, knock off a Clemson, let's say. They knock off Clemson. You know, probably whatever they do the rest of the way, they would deserve to get in. You're not going to knock out Clemson for losing to the number four team in the country. So you'd want to keep them in. Alabama looks like a lock. So... Especially with this year, it looks like there's some teams that could definitely put together a resume that's worthy enough of the top four. So why not just expand the four to eight? You don't have to go any further than eight. You don't need to go to like 12 or 16. I think eight is fine because most years you'll probably get eight qualified teams easy. Anything past that, then you're really starting to you know, let media well not mediocre, but like average teams in. But for Cincinnati, you know, if you don't get in the top four, at least you can get a New Year's Six Bowl, which is kind of a you know consolation prize for 
some of these lesser known football schools. Um, and by the new, you know, by the New Year's Six, it's the Cotton Bowl, which is actually New Year's Eve, and then New Year's Day you have Peach Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, the Orange Bowl. Then I think it's like January third, you get the Sugar and Rose Bowl for the semifinals of the playoff. And then this year's championship game is in Miami at the Orange Bowl site. So, yeah. So, you know, for Cincinnati, teams like that, BYU, BYU is undefeated right now. Down around number 10, 11 in the AP poll. BYU is another team, could go undefeated, will not get any recognition for the playoff. So, once again, you know, there's an opportunity for the NCAA to do what's right. We all know NCAA, they do whatever they want. I mean, just look at, look at the conferences. This is probably a topic for another episode, but some of these teams and some of these conferences just don't make any sense. I don't get it, but NCAA lets these schools move and all that kind of stuff and I don't know a lot of it doesn't make sense so yeah I think another episode I'll talk more about that about how I feel the conferences should look and you know since whenever you know NCAA doesn't want to do something they say it's in the interest of the students but What's the interest when you're just take a look at the ACC since that's one of the bigger conferences like you have BC and Syracuse in there while pretty much the rest of the conference is down here in the south. So if the Big East was still a thing, you would think Syracuse and BC would have been perfectly fine to stay in the Big East. And then you pull in some other teams from, you know, Northeast area or Mid-Atlantic. But, of course, with that, the Big East never got any recognition. So, the bigger name Big East teams started pulling out and, you know, conference realignment and all that stuff. Too much to get into right now. But, hopefully they get their act together, expand the playoff to allow your Cincinnati's, your BYU's, your, I don't know, some other school, UCF, those years when UCF had high flying offense, would go like 11 and one every year, and they would kind of get into a New Year's Six Bowl, but would never really serious contender for the playoff, so that's just my two cents on that, but you know, with that, you know, that's my look back at the college football weekend. This will become a regular thing on here. Same way I do with the NFL, I'm going to do with college football. Uh, probably do like my college football reaction on this Monday night when I record. That you get that episode Tuesday morning and then 
when I record Tuesday night for your Wednesday episode, you'll get my NFL reaction. So, like I said before, now with sports, some sports season ending, you know, I can now focus on a little bit more, uh, I guess, diverse selection of sports. So, there you are. So, if you're new, hope you liked what you heard. Uh, so you can like, subscribe, follow, depending on wherever you you know are listening to your podcast. And as I've said, Chopping at the Bit is on pretty much all the major platforms: you know, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. It's on Spreaker, so definitely you know you can go back listen to some of the previous 32 episodes uh drop a comment you know rate the show whatever and then to those of you who've been with me most of the time appreciate you as well and thank you for all the support so you know be safe out there and i will definitely catch the next episode oh i didn't even let you know where we're going with that so Episode 34, the next one, will be NFL Review. I'll go over my um, picks from week seven. You know, look at any major storylines. And, um, yeah. I think there's something else. can't remember right now. But um, Oh, yeah, my bold prediction. Duh, that's what it was. We'll see how my bold prediction went. Um, just a little tease on that. Didn't go as well as I thought it would, but we'll get more into that tomorrow's episode. So thanks again. Be safe. Catch you next episode. All right. This episode is made possible by PwC. When you put the right tech in the hands of the right people, good things happen. It powers change. It accelerates innovation. It keeps you a step ahead. Our community of solvers brings the right tech to drive real results. It all adds up to The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com.